In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever to the ages of all ages. Amen. The message of, the, of all of the readings today, Jesus is trying to tell us that the summary of the Gospel, if we're to make a new beginning in this new Coptic year, the summary of the Gospel, the summary of the good news of Jesus Christ, the summary of all of this is, is all very simple. Nothing you haven't heard before, but hearing it, hearing it for, for myself, hearing it as a word to me, not, um, not as, a, as a, just a general axiom or principle, can be life-changing. A lawyer goes to Jesus and tells him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him and he tells him, you're a lawyer, you tell me what's in the law. And the lawyer summarizes all the law of Moses. The law of Moses was, was 613 laws. And then the Pharisees had taken those laws and they had made up other laws that would prevent you from breaking the laws of Moses. So there were rules upon rules and rules to help you not break the rules of the rules and so on, right? And so things had gotten very complicated in Jesus' time and most people couldn't make heads or tails of it. They just knew that whatever they did, they were wrong. And sometimes we feel that way. And sometimes we have an image of a God who is this judge. And it's almost like no matter what you do, there will be some reason why you didn't do something that you should have done or you did something with the best of intentions, but you missed some minor clause, some footnote, some fine print, and oh, God's going to get you on that one, right? And Jesus is telling us today that it's not like that at all. But in, his, in Jesus' usual, usual sort of Socratic method of answering questions, when he gets asked a question, he returns it with a question. He returns the question of the lawyer, what must I do to inherit eternal life, with a question. He says to him, you're a lawyer, what do you say? And, the, and he says to him, the summary of all of these rules and laws and all of this complication, he says to him, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, who said, and he said to him, Jesus answered him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Pretty simple. To love the Lord your God, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is a, a, a hidden third person that needs to be loved in, in this statement, which is oneself. Because if my love for myself is very, very low, then that becomes the standard by which I'm going to love my neighbor, and that becomes very low. If I hate myself, then, then by, by nature I will also hate my neighbor, whether I want to or not. Sometimes I confess to you, you know, my wife is here, she can verify it, that some days I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, right? And I come downstairs and I'm like, why is there a pile of dishes? And why is there food on the floor? And why is there this? And why is, right? And she'll just look at me and, and she'll say, she'll, she'll just tell me, is there something wrong with whatever, the kitchen? Or is there something wrong with you? You know, like... Uh, 10 years of marriage or nine years of marriage or however long it's been and it's, it hasn't been nearly long enough, she knows me well enough to be able to see that maybe 
maybe I can't stand myself and that's why I can't stand anybody who's around me. Maybe, maybe I have some discontentment with myself and that's why I can't see contentment in the world around me. Maybe I see no good in myself and that's why I'm not able to see good in anyone or anything that's around me. So there's a hidden third person to be loved in the answer of the lawyer, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And that's what I really want to spend some time speaking with you about today is this business of love of self. There's two love of selves here, okay? We're not talking about the self that Jesus is telling us, if you wish to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We're not talking about that self. We're not talking about one's ego, one's pride, one's personhood, bigging myself up compared to other people and trampling upon them with the fullness of myself and and so so goes the expression being full of oneself that's not what i'm talking about and i don't think that's what jesus is talking about and i don't think that that's real love of self right most of the time when we do that most of the time when we big ourselves up 90 percent of people you know maybe a small proportion of people are truly narcissistic but the rest of the rest of western society just has low self-esteem and so what we do and how we cope with our low self-esteem is to big ourselves up. And sometimes that means to big myself up in comparison to another person. Sometimes that means to, 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 to trample on another person with, with sort of this sort of false pride or false ego when really it's stemming from a place of low self-esteem. If it's stemming from that place of low self-esteem, rather than overcompensating with a sense of pride, the readings today are telling us that God loves the little people. God loves us in our brokenness. He loves the rich and he loves the poor. But what's so enamoring about the poor is that the poor don't hide the fact that they're poor. They just are forced, whether they wish to or not to, they're, they're forced to display their poverty. Whereas the rich also have a poverty. They have a multitude of different poverties, right? But they conceal them. I am, may, may or may not be poor in dollars in the bank, but I'm poor in time in my calendar. I'm poor in my mental health as I stretch myself so thin trying to accomplish everything. I'm poor, and this is the worst of it all. I'm, I, as we become busy and overspent and overstretched, we become poor in something which is so primordial, so much part of our essence and who we are. We become poor in humanity. Like, like to understand what I'm saying, gauge the last 10 phone calls. If you need to pull out your cell phone, pull your cell phone out and look at the last 10 phone calls that you, that you dialed, people you called. And ask yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how human was I to that person? As we become busy and overstretched and so on, 
we, we, we lose our sense of humanity. People become tasks. They become things that need to, to be done. Uh, they become people, the emails that need to be sent, people that need to be responded to. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be efficient and use our time wisely and, and, and so on. But it's going to come at a cost. It comes at a cost of humanity. And the, the, the problem with that, the, the, the biggest problem with that is not that we start to pe meet, treat other people in an inhumane way. That's really bad. But there's something even worse, is that the way that I treat others becomes the way that I treat myself. And so other people become people who need to get things done for me because, you know, that's their job or that's what I asked them to do or that's what they committed to doing. So, you know, they need to, they, they become task doers. But then I also, as, as, as that person loses their humanity and they become a robot that's supposed to do tasks, I lose my humanity and I also become, in my own eyes, a robot which is supposed to do tasks. And what if I fail at those tasks? What if I delay at those tasks? Or what if, and what if, what if? I have some friends who are in engineers and my father was an engineer. And my father, very early in my life when I first started planning events and retreats and stuff like that, would help me with the planning. He's a project manager, so he's good at this stuff. And he would tell me, look, John, you have to divide, you have to divide the moving parts in this event or this process in two. The human ones and the non-human ones. The ones that are reliable are the non-human ones. The human ones, you have to account for something called the human factor. Whatever is human, just double it. Double its cost, double its time, double its effort, just double it. Because humans are humans. They wake up one day and they're really efficient and they're able to get things done. They wake up on another day and they're not feeling so great. Their grandfather just passed away. They're this, they're that. Their baby kept them up all night. Their wife is fighting with them, whatever. And they're not able to necessarily do what they were able to do on a good day. So you have to, you have to, just, you, you just have to account for that. Otherwise, you will end up disappointed. The human factor. We're not robots. We're not robots. But somehow, the more we treat other people that way, the more we start to expect that of ourselves. That's what Jesus is telling us. But he's telling us to replace that with love. To keep it brief, I want to share with you one of my favorite things that Mother Teresa says, Mother Teresa says, God is not desiring from us great works, but any work with great love. Think of the people who have influenced your life. Think of the people who have changed your life. Think of the people that are your role models. They may or may not be people who are successful in the things that you wish to be successful in, but they're probably people who love you very, very much. They're probably people who, in, an, in its own appropriate context, whether it's at work or whether it's an athletic coach or whether it's a parent or a friend, have went out of the way for you. Whether they do that for everyone or not is a different question, but the, the question is, is that the, the, the thing is that they went out of their way for you. So I'm not suggesting that we suddenly, like, you know, if you have six phone calls you have to make 
on Monday morning before a meeting at 11 that you double the amount of time that you're going to account for those phone calls. What I realized in my own personal life is that it doesn't necessarily take a lot more time. What it takes is intention. It takes intention before I pick up the phone to ask this person whether they're going to meet this deadline or not. It's a simple question. It's yes or no. And it shouldn't take more than 45 seconds. That's okay. And it can take those 45 seconds. But before those 45 seconds begin, let me take five seconds to center myself as a child of God, as an ambassador of love, and tell myself, Lord, and pray and say, Lord, I wish to offer this person as much love as is reasonable, as much as is possible in this interaction, no matter how brief and no how, matter, how transactional. That's okay. You, you, you go into the grocery store to buy some tomatoes, right? You're going to meet a person at the cash register. You're not going to meet a cash register. You're going to meet a human being at the cash register. I'm not asking you to clog up the line at the grocery store with a 45-minute conversation. No, you're supposed to pay and they're supposed to give you your change and that's that. But is it possible for that minor transaction to be one that's done with overwhelming love? It may not even come out in words. It may just be the look on one's face, the disposition of one's heart. It may be a prayer in my heart, Lord, bless this person. Lord, if it comes down to it, if you do nothing else today, let you do one thing, bless this beautiful person at this cash register. It doesn't need to be even something audible or something I say. It's not something that we do. It's someone who we are. It's a beautiful book called Being as Communion. You'll notice that um, when we get to the anaphora and the liturgy, we describe God, O oh, you the being who is. He's the only one who is. When Moses asks him to describe himself and tell me who you are, so when I go back to Egypt and I tell them, tell Pharaoh, let, let my people go, he's going to say, who is your God? What am I going to answer him? What's your name? He tells him, I am who I am. My name is I am. I am the one who exists. I am the one who is. Everything else is because of me. I am the creator. I am the one who is, has no pre-existence. We've become doers. I've become a doer. I've got to get things done. I've got so much to do. I've got to get things done that I forget to be a person. God is calling you and me to be that love. If we can love ourselves that way, we can love others with that same, with that same love. I want to share with you, uh, as I close, a final thought. Somebody sent me this and said, Father John, this is something you'd love. You might want to print this and put it on the doors of the church. And I tell you the truth, when I read it, there's nothing that made me want to do this more. This is a, a, a welcome message to anyone walking in through the front doors of the church. But let this be a welcome message, not only to somebody walking in through the doors of a church, but to the people who walk in through the doors of our lives. 
it reads like this. It's from Coventry Cathedral in England. It's called the Cathedral Welcome. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, widowed, gay, confused, filthy rich, comfortable, or dirt poor. We extend a special welcome to wailing babies and excited toddlers. We welcome you whether you can sing like Pavarotti or just growl quietly to yourself. We welcome you here if you're just browsing, just woken up, just got out of prison. We don't care if you're more Christian than the Pope or haven't been to church since Christmas 10 years ago. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome fit mums, football dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, and junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or down in the dumps or you don't like organized religion. We're not so keen on it ourselves. We offer you a welcome if you think the earth is flat, if you work too hard, if you don't work at all, if you can't spell, or if you're here because granny is visiting and she wanted to come to church. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, both or neither. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down their throat as kids, or got lost in the city center and somehow ended up here by mistake. We welcome pil pilgrims and tourists, seekers and doubters. We welcome you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.